Hey, good morning, y'all. Glad to see you. Big game tonight. Um, I am more interested in the commercials and an excuse to make a bunch of bad food. You know what I'm saying? And to see Tom Brady. That's just, yeah, just me. Sorry. Sorry. Um, so, a battle going on tonight. Uh, a year ago, I'm reminded of this time last year because last year in this place, Jack and I were doing battle, preaching out, uh, preaching our hearts out during what we call the Sunday, uh, what would it be called? Super Sunday Showdown, that's what it was called. I was gonna say Super Sermon Showdown, but that was pretty, it was decent, it was a good time. We had a good time last year. Much different uh, place we were in this year, but God has been good to us to see us through all this stuff the last year, and here we are. Tonight is the last, just a reminder for football fans, uh, tonight is the last football game you're gonna get to see for the next six or seven months. Bummer. All right, so moving right along. So battle going on tonight. We are in a series called Stand Firm. Today's sermon is called The Unseen Battle. Do you like that segue? Um, I worked really hard on that. All right, just kidding. So we're in the book of Ephesians. We kicked this off last week, Stand Firm. We're in Ephesians chapter 6. We'll get there in a minute. Last week, uh, took the time to set this series up by doing an overview of the book of Ephesians. We saw that this book or this letter was written by Paul to the church at Ephesus. It's six chapters long, broken up into two halves, chapters one through three. Talk about who we are in Christ. We use that framework of sit, walk, stand, if you heard that last week. And then this uh, second half of the book is chapters four through six, which is about not who we are, but because of who we are, how we now are to live our lives. And so we come to chapter number six, the last part of this chapter, and it's really Paul's big finale in this letter to the Ephesian believers, and he brings up this subject matter, which is an incredibly important uh, topic, but it's often confusing in, in Christian circles, and the subject matter that he's talking about here is spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare, so we're going to talk about this as we, as we head into Ephesians chapter 6, we said it last week, if we if we want to live victorious, fruitful lives, I mean, we got to learn to stand firm. That's what this series is all about. And we have to understand this, this subject of spiritual warfare. And so the reality is that talking about spiritual warfare is it's kind of like going to the doctor. So let me ask you, show of hands, who dislikes going to the doctor? Most of you, okay. Uh, I decided to frame it that way because I thought if I asked who likes going to the doctor, if anybody raised their hand, you'd be like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Nobody really enjoys going to the doctor. Um, and, and one of the reasons, I, I feel like the older I get, the more I would prefer to avoid the doctor. And maybe that's because I don't want to really find out what's wrong with me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That I'm not exercising or eating well enough or doing these things. And, and so sometimes we want to avoid, we don't want to know what might be going on beneath the surface, and so maybe we choose to be ignorant of that. You know, it reminds me of you know our kids when they were little, maybe you remember this, when you were a kid or you had kids, when you're at a certain age where it's like, if you cover up your, uh, your, your face, if you hide, like if I can't see you, you can't see me. Like if I can't see you, then you don't exist, or you can't see me, I don't exist. And sometimes that's how we, how we approach physical things, but it's true in a spiritual sense as well. And so the really big idea, the bottom line for today is this. To ignore what we cannot see is to court disaster, or to invite disaster. 
When we ignore what we cannot see, man, we're walking down a dangerous road. And this is true physically. So for example, I remember, I think it was three, maybe four years ago, was at a church serving there as a, as a pastor, and our senior pastor had a heart attack. And I remember my wife Annette and I went to the hospital to visit him right after this, and uh, there was another couple, it was a long-standing um, you know, couple on our staff and in our church, and we were in the room with our pastor and his wife, and uh, I remember the doctor coming in to kind of give him the, the prognosis, and I remember he, he literally gave him two options. He said, uh, you know, it seems to be pretty minor, so we could do one of two things. Number one, we could, we could go in, we could do some exploratory surgery, make, make sure there's nothing more major going on. Or number two, we could send you home with some medication. And it seemed like two extreme options. And, and I remember being in that room and it was kind of cool to, to process and pray through that with our pastor and his wife. And you know, he's sitting here, you know, laying here in this bed going, I don't want to go into surgery, um, but what if there's something? And so we just talked through it, and they ended up making the decision, let's go ahead with the surgery, make sure there's nothing worse you know, going on here. We ended up discovering in this surgery that he had to have six bypass surgery. If you heard of double bypass, that's major, quadruple, major, six bypass. I don't even know the sex couplet, sir, I don't even know what it's called. But we were like, oh my word, can you imagine if he just went home on medication, like the, what that path would have led to. And so we were praising the Lord that, you know, we took that surgery. But sometimes this is, this is the reality. If we ignore what we cannot see, we think, oh, it's, this is minor, not a big deal. And there's so much going on beneath the surface that we could not physically see, that we had to have our eyes open to. And, you know, this reminds me, I kind of play around with this, idea, this uh, you know, memory of growing up in the 80s, because I love the 80s, I think 80s music and all that stuff is great. Um, mullets, all that stuff is great, you know. Um, rat tails, you know, all the fun stuff with the 80s. Um, but when I was growing up in the 80s, I remember as a kid watching this animated series called G.I. Joe. Anybody in my age bracket or anywhere like remember seeing G.I. Joe? I remember coming home from school, uh, like elementary school or whatever, maybe it was, I don't know, middle school, uh, high school, I don't remember, whatever. Um, I remember coming home from school and watching G.I. Joe, and at the end of every episode, they would give you like this moral lesson or moral story, and they ended with this line. If you, if you grew up watching this, you'll know it. Now you know, and knowing is half the battle, right? And so now I'm cursed. Anytime someone's like, well, now you know, and I'm like, and knowing is half the battle, right? It's just like, I'm spilling out. Um, but, but what a cool kind of statement. This is a really good lesson. Because the idea here is, you know, we're so ignorant of things or we ignore things, but when you know, like when you're confronted with the truth and you know what is true, that's, that's half the battle. And so really this is, this is my goal for, for today is to help us to know, maybe this is a reminder for some of you, is to know what is real so that we can live accordingly, so that we can enter into battle like we see in Ephesians chapter 6 and put on this armor. But there's some things we've got to know so that we can live rightly and experience the victory that God has prepared us for. So today is called The Unseen Battle. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, looking at verses 10 through 13. So if you follow along with me. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, again, coming to the finale of this letter, he says, finally, verse 10, be strong in the Lord 
and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand an evil day and having done all to stand firm. So there's three big things that I want, I want us to know today. Number one is this. There is a real battle. There is a real battle going on. You know, this passage, Ephesians 6, it's really the central passage on spiritual warfare in the New Testament. And uh, there, there's really two dangerous extremes that we can go to when we, when we think about this idea of spiritual warfare. On one hand, we can kind of deny it. We can be like, well, you know, what? I believe in naturalism, that it's natural, I, that everything has natural causes, that if I can't see it with my physical eyes, then it's, it's not real, it's not reality. So we can deny spiritual warfare and just kind of brush it off. Or we can go to this other extreme, which is where we overemphasize it. And, and maybe you've, you've heard this, and this is this idea is played around with and joked around with, where everything is a result of demonic activity. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, it takes me 10 minutes to get to work, and I ended up leaving nine, minute, nine minutes before, and I hit every single light. And so I got to work late, and I'm like, man, the devil's fighting against me. It's all the devil. It's all this work against me. And it's like we overemphasize. You're supposed to laugh at that, all right? It's like, it's, it's, no, it's not because the devil was attacking you. It's because you were stupid and you left work way too late, right? It's your fault. But we blame stuff. I mean, we're overemphasizing the activity of the enemy, and everything is a matter of spiritual warfare. Let me read you a quote by C.S. Lewis, who wrote this incredible book called The Screwtape Letters, which is, is, is really all about spiritual warfare and demonic activity. And C.S. Lewis said this, he said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, and he's talking about the human race, uh, can, can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, so to deny their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both ears. In other words, those devils, those demonic beings, hey, they don't care which end of the spectrum you land on, whether you're denying them or you're infatuated with them. Hey, they're, they're pleased if you do either because they're, they're going to do their work regardless. And so we can fall on either end of the spectrum, but the reality is there is a battle that we are living within. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says it this way. He says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary, they're passing. But the things that are unseen are eternal. And so Paul compares and contrasts things that are seen versus things that are unseen. And he says these things that are seen are, are transient, they're temporary. They, they only last for a little while. But these things that are unseen, these things that we don't see with our physical eyes, Man, those are the things that you got to look out for. Those are the things that you got to open your eyes to because those things are eternal. So th there's this, this eternal thing going on around us that we can't see with our physical eyes. And, and they're both equally real. One's temporary and one's eternal, but they're both real. 
And just because we don't see them doesn't mean they don't exist. So let me give you a couple Old Testament examples, two incredible stories that I wish we could spend some more time in, and you can look these up on your own. One is in Numbers chapter 22. It's a story of Balaam and his donkey. You all know the story. It's the, the talking donkey in the Bible, all right? And this is one of those crazy stories that you read. And it's so incredible because what you see in the story is Balaam is this pagan prophet um, that King uh, Balak of, of Moab, he, he's wanting to, he's wanting Balaam who practices, you know, the divine arts and magic. He's wanting him to put a curse on God's people, Israel. And so he instructs Balaam to go and, and curse them. And, and God speaks to Balaam and says, I don't want you to do that unless you're going to go give them my words. And so he permits Balaam to do this. Balaam get, gets on his donkey to go and, and to do this. And, and God, seeing his heart, is displeased because he knows he's going to disobey him. And so what, what God does is he sends an angel of the Lord to stand in the way of, of Balaam and his donkey. And the donkey can see this angel of the Lord, but Balaam cannot see and so the donkey is like, oh, I ain't going this way. So he goes off this way, off the path. And Balaam is like, what is your problem? This, like strikes him with his staff, right? And, and, but on this path, what happens is the angel of the Lord stops him again. And donkey is like, uh-uh, I ain't doing that. Donkey, I get, I'm going to Shrek here. Donkey. <laughs> so donkey like makes his way to the other direction. Balaam is like so frustrated. He strikes him again. And, and what happens is, is the donkey smashes his his foot up against the wall, and Balaam's getting so frustrated, so they're going along in. The third time, the angel of the Lord stops Balaam and his donkey, and the donkey just, he just sits, sits down. At this point, Balaam is so frustrated with this dumb animal, right, and so he strikes him again, and what happens is it says that the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and he begins to speak, and he basically says, Dude, why do you keep hitting me? All right, this is the JIV. I'm borrowing from Jack's version of the Bible. All right, but this, this conversation, Balaam is so mad at his donkey that he, like, for some reason, it seems like he, he doesn't realize he's arguing with a talking donkey. Right, and so this conversation goes back. But why do you keep striking me? The donkey's like, why are you making me look like a fool? I wish I had a sword so I could strike you dead. And the donkey is like, listen. Listen, bro, <laughs> I've, you've been riding me for all these years. Have I ever treated you this way? And, and this is what leads up to Numbers chapter 22, verse number 31. It says this, Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with a strong sword in his hand. And he bowed down and fell on his face. The Lord opened his eyes. So it wasn't like Balaam was like, going on this ride and arguing with his donkey with like blindfold on, right? Where like his eyes were closed. No, it's not talking about his physical eyes. It's his spiritual eyes. It says the Lord opened his eyes. It's like he peeled back the blinders to see the spiritual reality that was taking place right in front of him. And he was freaked out by that. He fell on his face. And you see this anytime that, that there's an encounter with the Lord, with the angel of the Lord. It's it's worship, it's fall on your face, and, and, and this is what happens when, when the Lord opens the eyes to what is unseen. There's another story in, in 2 Kings chapter 6, that's the story of Elisha, the, the prophet of God and his chariots, and this is an amazing story as well, where the king of Syria, 
uh, is, is wanting to take out Elisha, who is a prophet of God. And Elisha has his servant with him, and what happens is, actually, let's just read it. Second Kings chapter 6, verse 15, it says, When the servant of the man of God, uh, talking about Elisha, when he rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. So they were surrounded by the enemy, the, the, the army of horses and chariots. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? What shall we do? There's no way out of this. Verse 16. He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And so, you know, the servant's got to be looking around going, I, I, I'm counting all the horses and chariots. There's way more of them than there, there are of us. What are you talking about? He's confused, but then Elisha does something amazing. He prays. And Elisha prayed and said, Oh, Lord, please, Open his eyes that he may what? They may see. Again, not his physical eyes. God, peel back the blinders. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. What did he see? Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And so when God opened his physical eyes, and he didn't just see this, this physical army. Uh, he opened his spiritual eyes. It wasn't just his physical army of, of chariots and horses. No, man, he, God opened his spiritual eyes to see the spiritual army, God's army that was surrounding them, that was fighting with them and for them because God opened his physical eyes. And so therefore, we live in a real battle. There's, there's a lot of activity going on around us that that we don't see with our physical eyes, but it is nonetheless reality. And when we understand this, we've got to be aware and alert. We've got to be aware and alert. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, you, you may have heard this before. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. In other words, be alert, be on guard. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And so because we because we're in the middle of this battle, because this reality is going on around us, we've got to be aware and alert. So let me give you an example. The reason that, that some people, maybe some of you included, carry a concealed firearm, or the reason that, that families would, would set up a home security system, or the reason that when we you know, go to board plane, we're going through TSA and this checkpoint, going through metal detectors, why thousands of people tonight as they go to this football game in Miami, why they're gonna go through this whole um, you know, metal detector and checking your bags and all this stuff. There's a reason why all of these things take place. You know what the reason why all these things take place in our world right now is? Because we live in a dangerous world, right? We live in a dangerous world where there are terrorists and people who would inflict harm on, on us, on innocent people. And so with that awareness that we live in a dangerous world, we, we take precautions and we, we are on alert and we're aware of that. And so the reality, when we think about the spiritual reality, we live within a battle. When we realize that, when we understand that, it will help us to be alert and to be aware and to recognize and to, to do what Paul goes on to tell us to do here in Ephesians 6. Put on the armor of God. 
protect yourself. Be ready to fight. Be ready to stand firm because you're in the middle of a battle. And so, the first thing we need to know is we live within a real battle. And to ignore what we cannot see is to court disaster. So number one, there's a real battle. Number two, it goes right along with this. There's a real enemy. There is a real enemy. And last week, we kind of touched on this, but in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, we see that we're described as, from the start, we're described as enemies of God. Because of our sinfulness, because of our brokenness, we start out in a place of enmity or hostility with God because our sin separates us from God. So we start out as enemies, but we saw it last week, Ephesians chapter 2, the goodness of the gospel is, but God who is rich in mercy, who is, with his great love, sent his son for us. Jesus came on a rescue mission to save us and to move us from being enemies of God to now being his friends, to being his sons and daughters. And so we move from, we move from being enemies to friends. And what happens when we, is, is when we put our trust in Jesus, we switch allegiances. It's like we trade teams. All right, so going back to the Super Bowl, uh, one of the reasons that the Super Bowl is a big deal um, tonight is because of TV 12, all right? Tom Brady, the GOAT, who is from that team up north. Okay, I'm from Ohio. We don't call out the name of the school he's from because they're our rivals. TTUN, that team up north. So that's why I'm not a fan of Tom, all right? Even though it's Super Bowl Tom, this is like a, I don't know, 35th Super Bowl appearance or whatever, I don't know. Um, but it, it's his 10 Super Bowl appearance. He's won six, right? I guess it's, I lost count. Um, but the deal is, he switched allegiances, right? And it's still weird to see Tom Brady in a Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform because his whole career, we've only seen him in a Patriots union, right? And so what happened is he traded teams. So further proof, unfortunately, that he's the GOAT. He went from this team to this team, and now he's in the Super Bowl again. And that's why I wanted to go down. I wanted to lose. But this is what happens when we put our faith in Christ, is we switch allegiances. It's like we take off the jersey of the losing team, the enemy, and we put on this, this we, we take off the dark jerseys, all right, um, which is the away jersey, and we put on the home jersey, the light jersey. We switch teams. We, we switch from one kingdom to another kingdom. We switch from one king Ephesians 2 calls him the prince of the power of the air. He's not quite a king, he's a prince, right? Of this world. And we've switched and we become a follower of the king of kings and the lord of lords. We switch allegiances. And our enemy is no longer God. Our enemy is God's enemy. And I want you to see back again in Ephesians chapter 6. It identifies the enemy. Because sometimes we get confused as human beings, flesh and blood, we get confused about who, our, who or what our enemy is. In Ephesians chapter 6, we already read it, but it defines or identifies for us the enemy. It says in Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He's the enemy. Verse 12, here's who the enemy is not. For we do not wrestle. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We don't fight against people. Well, they're not the enemy. But against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Remember the heavenly places? We saw this last week. This is where Christ is seated. This is where he, he seats us when we're in Christ. There's this battle that is, that is being waged. And we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, not against rulers and authorities. And here's the problem. I've got to say this because we're living in a super politically charged climate in our world where it's easy as followers of Jesus to say, well, here's the enemy. This, this party or this person is the enemy and we're fighting against flesh and blood. Here, on the reality, there's a lot of spiritual stuff at stake here. But men and women, flesh and blood, are not the enemy. They're not, that's not who, we're not fighting against the rulers and authorities of our nation or our world or our county or whatever. We're fighting against spiritual, cosmic powers in heavenly places. That is the real battle that's taking place. And if, if we succumb to, to this nonsense that people, flesh and blood are our enemy, man, we, the enemy is like, hey, go for it. Fight against others. Fight against amongst yourselves. They're not the real enemy. And we're wasting our time and spinning our wheels if we're not in the real battle with the real enemy. Who is the devil? The enemy of God. That is who the battle is against. We've got to know that he is the enemy. The devil and everything under his control. These powers are real. They're personal. They're powerful. So, tracing back the story of the devil, his original name was Lucifer, which means light bearer. He was a created being, created by God to glorify him, to, to shine the light on God. But he turned, he rebelled against God. He took a third of the angels and, and God changed his name. He became an enemy or an adversary of God. So his name was changed to Satan, which literally means adversary. Adversary. He is the adversary or enemy of God. He wants God's place. He wants to usurp his authority and be in his place. And God's enemy, the adversary, is now, 1 Peter 5 eight. we saw just a moment ago, he's not just God's adversary, he is your adversary, he's my adversary, the devil. And what it says in Ephesians 6 is that he, that we want to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So what it tells us about the devil, the enemy, is that he's a schemer. Or he's a schemer. Have you ever uh, been the victim of like a scam? Anybody ever scammed you or like tried to scam you? Like you get these emails and you know, I might get an email from you know, this pastor in Africa that wants me to send them millions of dollars. I'm like, oh sure, I'll send it via PayPal, sure. You know, it's like so easy to spot some of these scams, right? Some of them aren't so easy to scam, but it's someone that's trying to deceive you, someone that's trying to woo you and trying to convince you that what is not good is good. They're being devious. They're schemers, they're scamming, and, and the goal of the enemy, the goal of the devil, is to deceive us and to destroy our faith and our confidence in Christ. He's always trying to scheme us, to scam us. He's trying to say, hey, if you would just take that which doesn't belong to you, man, it would feel good. If you would, if you would have sex before marriage, outside of marriage, if you would participate in this activity, man, you're going to feel good. It's going to be great. And he's scheming us. He's lying to us. He's trying to get us to take the bait. This is what temptation is, is all about. 
He's trying to deceive us and destroy our faith and confidence in Christ. And this is why Paul comes along in Ephesians chapter 6 and he says, you need to take up the full armor of God. You need to fight against and stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Because the reality is, when you chose Christ, listen, if you, if you have at some point in your life decided to follow Jesus, the moment you decided to follow after him, you became a target of the enemy. Like you put your face right in the crosshairs of the enemy. And as long as you pursue God and try to live a holy, pure life, you try to seek to glorify him, you will be in the crosshairs of the enemy. You will be in the crosshairs of the enemy. You are his target. Here's some of the names that he's called in the scriptures. Some of the things that God calls him. He's called the devil, the tempter, the destroyer, the evil one, a great red dragon, the serpent, that ancient serpent, a roaring lion, the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air, a murderer, a liar, and the father of lies, the ruler of this world. And there's probably more. But man, he's no joke, y'all. He is an enemy. He's the enemy of God. And if we follow Jesus, he is our enemy. And to ignore what we cannot see is to court disaster. To act as if he doesn't exist. To act as if there's not spiritual battle going on around us. To act as if people that we know that don't have a relationship with Jesus, that their souls aren't being fought over, that there's not battle being waged for the, the, the affections of their souls. Man, if we don't acknowledge that there's a real battle and a real enemy, man, we're walking down a dangerous path. We've gotta know that there's a real battle. We've gotta know that there's a real enemy, but here is number three. The good news is that there is a real victor. Amen? That's a good place for an amen. There is a real victor that we are in the middle of a battle. We have a real enemy. And, I, and I'm telling y'all, if, if God were to do what he did with Balaam, if God were to do what he did with Elisha at some points in our life, if he were to peel back the blinders of our physical eyes and help us to see spiritually, some of us would be freaked out. We would stick our heads in the sand and never want to come out if we could see the battle waging around us. And sometimes for our affections, if we could see it, we would be freaked out. But here's the reality, y'all, is we don't have to be freaked out because the reality is there is a victor, that there is an army of the Lord fighting with us and for us, that he goes before us, that he wants us to experience victory, to trust in him. And, and we've got to understand there's a real victor, but the victor is not us. The victor is Jesus Christ. He is the victor. He is the one who has done the work, who has fought the battle, who has won. We have been placed into him. And, and I, want to go, I want to go back to the beginning at the fall. Very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve were commanded by God, hey, you can have you can have at this whole garden, this glorious garden, experience all the goodness of this and all my creation. But here's the one restriction. 
Don't eat of this tree. Don't do it. Because in the day that you do it, you're going to die. Spiritually, physically, you're going to die. Adam and Eve did it. They took of that fruit that was called the fall. They, they plunged themselves and all the human race, every one of us ever since, into sin. This is what happened in the beginning. But I want you to see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, at the fall, in the very beginning, even in the, the midst of this tragedy of the human race falling into sin, God was telling the gospel. God was giving the gospel. He was, he was showing us or revealing to us the real players in this cosmic battle of the ages in which we now find ourselves. Genesis 3.15 says this, to the serpent. So Adam and Eve have sinned. God is pronouncing judgment on the man, the woman, and now in verse 15, on the serpent, the devil. He says this, I will put, here's, here's the judgment on you, Satan. I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So what, what's going on here is, is, is God is pronouncing judgment on him. And what's happening is, is he's revealing the real battle. The real battle through the ages is going to be between Satan, the enemy of God, and the woman's offspring, pointing towards Christ, pointing towards the Messiah. He, he talks about his offspring, her offspring. It's the, the, those who are in darkness against those who are in the light. There's this battle that's going to take place through the ages, and these are the participants in this battle. But God tells the end of the story, and I love this. Hang with me here. He says that you're going to bruise his heel but he's going to bruise your head. So what he's referring to here is he's, he's pointing to Christ on the cross. And he says, you're going to bruise his heel. Like, have you ever, have you ever like, hit your heel on something? Like, that's an awkward, weird place to, like, bruise yourself, right? And it's just irritating. And my wife did that the other day. She hit her foot on, like, our doggy gate or whatever. And it's like, ah, that's annoying. But you know what? A, heel, a, a bruise on your heel, it goes away. Right? It may last for a few days, and then it's gone. Everything's back to normal. This is what, this is what God is saying here is going to happen to Jesus. He's going to be crucified, and it's going to appear as if you have won the day. The enemy has won because the Messiah has been killed. He's been crucified. He's dead, and he's in the grave. And what looked like a victory for the enemy of God ended up only being a bruise on his heel. Because you know how long that death lasted? Three days, y'all. It only lasted for three days, and then he rose from the dead, the resurrection. And what happens is he says, you may bruise his heel, but guess what? You are going to literally crush his head. He says, Jesus is going to crush your head and he's hearing this and going, what is he even talking about? This is called, in theological terms, the proto-evangelium. You've heard the word prototype. It's like the first version of something. This is the first mention of the gospel. This is the gospel before the gospel. That God says, even at the fall of man, when all it looked like was darkness and death and sin, God was pointing towards this future victory that the enemy was going to bruise his heel, but he was going to crush the head of the enemy because we have a victor. We have a victor. Amen? Amen. We have a victor. 
The fall didn't throw off God's plan. Jesus' victory came at the cross. First John verse, chapter 3, verse 8. It says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason that the Son of God, the reason Jesus appeared, was to do what? Was to destroy the works of the devil. And the way that Jesus destroyed the works of the devil was by his work on the cross. And he defeated the enemy. Colossians 2, verse 15, again, the context is the cross says that God disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So in other words, all the power that the enemy had over us, that death and hell and the grave had over us, man, God, through the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he disarmed all that power. He took away all the power of the enemy in victory on the cross through his death and his burial and his resurrection. Jesus' victory came at the cross. And so Jesus wins. But here's, here's an incredible thing, is that God allows us, as followers of Jesus, to share in the victory. I want you to see this. This is just like tucked away. Paul kind of snuck this in at the end of his letter to Romans. In uh, Romans 16, he says in Romans 16, verse 20, the God of peace, I love this, is the God who is, is all full of peace. He brings peace. He's the God of peace. But guess what he's going to do? He's going to crush you under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under whose feet? He's speaking to followers of Jesus, y'all. He's speaking to the church. And we hear this and we go, the God of peace is going to crush Satan. Yes, all right, I can't wait. I can't wait for Tom Brady. Wait, no, sorry, he's not Satan. Not flesh and blood, I'm just kidding. It's for the Jones benefit. We're like, yes, he's going to crush the enemy. He's going to crush his head. That makes those next three words fall. He says he's going to crush the head of Satan under your feet, under our feet. The church of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the victor. And he's going to crush the head of the enemy. And he's going to do it with your heels and my heels. We get to participate in the victory of our Savior. Because Jesus is the victory and because we get to share in the victory, this is why Paul can come along in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, and he can say, finally, be strong, not in your strength, not in your power, not in your might, but be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. You're not the victor. You're not the strong one. You're not the powerful one. But Jesus is, and if you are in Christ, you can stand firm in him and in his strength, the strength of his might. This is what putting on this armor is all about. It's putting on the strength, the power, the victory of Jesus in our lives. And so this means that we have no strength of our own, that we're weak, that we're incapable. This means that we can't fight cosmic powers with human powers. This means that we can't fight against or exert human force over spiritual forces. This means that, that we can only find strength in Christ. He is the victor. He is our warrior king. He is the one that goes before us. He is the one that fights for us. He is the one that wins the battle. Psalm 24, verse 8 says, Who is this king of glory? 
This is who he is. He's the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. And then we see at the end of the story in Revelation 19 that Jesus comes. And he comes. And he's ready to do battle. And he's ready to win the day for all of eternity. He is our warrior king. He is the real victor. He is the real victor. And so we have to know these things today. That we're part of a real battle. It may be unseen, but it is there is a real enemy that may be unseen, but he is real. The good news is we have a victor, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is real and he is powerful. And in him, we can be victors. Romans 8, 37 says that, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In him, through him, we are more than conquerors. And so we've got to know what is true. There's a real battle. There's a real enemy. But there is a real victor. 